AVXL episode 169 was recorded on February 10th, 2022. A compact cooler for your AV gear, moving your home theater and stereo. So exciting or just a pain in the ass. Some low-cost powered speakers for a turntable and so much more. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Seriously, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contributions make this show possible. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Well, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I am annoyed by where my AVR is located. It's taking up valuable space to be used for books on the bookshelves. There may be some familial pressure here. There may be some cats involved in this thought process. It's never convenient. I love the cats. <laughs> it's never convenient. Uh-oh. I want to relocate my AVR, hide it again. There's going to be some cable rerunning. There may be some weeping and, and gnashing of teeth involving, you know, all the uh, Atmos overhead speakers. But I'm, I'm going to ask you, were you excited when you moved about a chance to redo the home theater? Or, or were you just like, damn it, this was done. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up becoming mildly frustrated at first that one of the walls I wanted to use for wall mounting a TV with the appropriate fasteners, it was a bit risky in terms of where this wall was located. It had a pocket door and it was to the backside of some really nice tile work just out of concern of not wanting to damage anything or interfere with the operation of anything. And considering the thickness of the wall, I just felt that while it would probably be fine, it would be better if I uh, took another path. And I ended up actually going to my magical storage unit and contained there within was a a wonderful Sanus pedestal stand that I had used a long time ago in an apartment I lived in. But it features a, a base that supports it with a extruded aluminum tube that extends okay. up about four feet. And on that is a standard wall mount bracket. This thing, conveniently enough, uh, the pedestal itself slides right under my bed. And I now have a, uh, a TV at the foot or the head of my bed with the majority of it slid under. So it's just literally the pedestal sticking up. And I have yet to mount my soundbar back on the unit yet. But I'm just making sure it's kind of where I want it to be first. But yeah, I totally feel your pain of... Uh, <laughs> where to put things, relocating things. It's uh, the good and the bad of it. But if you can start with a clean slate or you're going to do it once and you don't want to do it again, try to get it exactly the way get you it want right it. Get it right the first time, Norton? I don't even get it right. It's like, because suddenly it's like I, I had set it up a right. certain way and it wasn't like, oh, okay, you know what? This would just be better if I flipped everything around 180 degrees. Right. <laughs> And then, then it sort of came into place. So don't be in a hurry. If things are heavy, you don't want to move them a bunch of times. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's funny. Like part of me would love to rotate the screen over one wall or sort of, you know, rotate the home theater 90 degrees in part, because then I could hang uh, the projector between a couple of joists. Right. And now we kind of, the projector would screen would truly disappear when it gets shut off. Right. And, and then part of me is like, Oh, and then I would have to drill through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like nine joists to hang the Atmos speakers, you know, because I'm not going to tack them on the bottom of the joists. 
it's interesting when you start thinking like how little decisions change, how you can, you know, well, just running cabling, setting up the room. The efficiency of it all. Yeah. The other thing it would do, it would take the speakers from relatively balanced where one's about six, eight feet from the right wall and the other one's about eight or 10 feet from the left wall to burying one speaker in the corner and the other speaker would be out against a big open room. The kind of the L, the long L part of our basement. And I'm like, you know, let's just leave it where it is for now. <laughs> I totally understand. I really do. Really, I just need to tell my wife, we need to clear everything out of the basement, put it in the center. And then when the divorce comes through, I will have my home theater in my trailer somewhere or my <laughs> micro house, however I want. Um, I joke, but not really. In a van. We, we do a lot of things in this room. Down by the river. <laughs> down by the river. Hey, do I hear Star Wars coming from that van down by the river? That guy's uh, got a projector in the woods. <laughs> Man, I would have the brightest projection screen ever, my 60-inch screen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. If you're excited to move or if you're excited about redoing your home theater because you enjoy it or, or relocating your stereo, if you're the kind of person who likes to tweak your speakers to get the optimal stereo situation and then go, you know, I can make this better, uh, email askadavixl.com. Let's hear your thoughts. Uh, we'll share them next week. Definitely. I generally don't get really excited about the Academy Awards, but I got to say, you know, Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story. I feel like it's a fascinating list. Um, I feel like I'm sure there are 82,000 issues with this list. Uh, I'm so behind on on movies in theaters uh, that I'm, I'm still like, wait, King Richard? I remember reading about King Richard. Didn't I read about King Richard? When was that? What year was that? Are they ever going to release that 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 next Tom Cruise movie with Maverick this century? Um, right. I digress, but but I I want to see Belfast even more now. Uh, I'm a huge Kenneth Branagh fan. Have been since I think I saw Henry V. Um, I will say I read an article uh, about the sort of concepts that came together to do Spielberg's redo of West Side Story, and I'm kind of curious. And I'll watch Rita Moreno and anything. You know, Dunes there, Drive My Car. It's funny because you see, like, Drive My Car and Licorice Pizza, uh, Licorice Pizza being another one of Paul Thomas Anderson's tone poems, which uh, you will love or hate. Uh, I think that's just how Paul Thomas Anderson movies work. <laughs> I, you know, Change Me If I'm Wrong. Coda, which came out on Apple TV, is a fascinating one. There's a lot going on there. I love movies, and uh, it's always exciting to be like, oh, yeah. More Shakespeare. But, I am uh, clearly out of the loop on this. I'm staring at this list. <laughs> I recognize yeah, I, one of these movies, and then I'm like, okay, maybe two, and I have seen none of them. Right. <laughs> I am so, I am looking at different content, clearly, than uh, feature releases in, in the theater. That's just not my main bag. I mean, I love my movies, but I'm usually buying them on disc well after the fact, right. maybe even like a year or two later after initial release. It has to prove no itself. With, yeah, no, I, I <laughs> and then I, I bring it into I the no fold. Issue with waiting. Well, it's also it's the home. It's it's funny, right? Because there's a uh, High Point Theater is probably a half mile from my house, and uh <gasps> oh, now people can search for me. But it's got Licorice Pizza playing right now, and part of me would love to see that, and part of me is like, man. 
I don't always have the patience for a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And if you think that makes me a terrible person, by all means, email askatavxl.com and tell me. Given that, you know, I've probably seen Rashomon like eight times uh, and the original Seven Samurai. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. The Power of the Dog is one that I'm really curious about, too. Jane Campion directed that. Benedict Cumberbatch plays a rancher. Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst, uh, Jesse Plemons, like a great cast. But I also feel like that's going to be one of those movies where you're just emotionally crippled and exhausted by the end of it, which is good. But, you know, got to be in the right mood for it. <laughs> I have located my nearest Dolby Cinema, and I will see what their playlist is for the next uh, couple weeks. And if there is something there on this list, that is always a delightful experience. It's just the ultimate in visual and audio quality. And I'm sure there are other examples, too, either within an IMAX frame or whatever. But right. if you do have a Dolby Cinema nearby and you've never been to one, just bookmark what that particular cinema is. It's usually like one or two theaters, maybe, if you're lucky, in the whole facility that's going to be a Dolby Cinema theater. But that experience will give you literally incredible contrast, the best color performance. Right. It exceeds anything you could do in home theater currently for, you know, unless you have a six-figure <laughs> budget or better. So, My popcorn's better. I uh, yeah, I'm gonna take a look at what they're <laughs> what they're playing. Yeah, popcorn is a whole nother thing, but and my sodas <laughs> don't cost nineteen dollars. True that. So you found a pretty slick AVR amplifier cooler. What's going on with AC Infinity? Totally, they have component fan systems. They're actually uh, nice, low-profile designs that you effectively stack on top of your AVR or your amp. It provides fan and port options that allow you to direct that airflow for optimal cooling. Maybe you need it to blow directly out the front or out the top or reverse it and have it actually push air in. That is all there. And I ended up encountering this last week at a client's house. They had a really nice Marantz AVR that was in a cabinet. The manual for this AVR suggested you have at least six inches on the sides and I think even more on the top of space. And there was not that much space in this cabinet for this AVR. But with this device from AC Infinity, in this case, it was actually sized. And I believe they offer three sizes for this product that cover common dimensions for the width of uh, typical components like AVRs or amps. So you get the one that matches the width of your device, and then you configure it how you need that air to be directed. And he had been using it for at least a year, probably longer, uh, several years so far. And he uh, continues to use it. And it just looked like a cool device. And the company seems like they've been doing all sorts of fan devices for a variety of industries. And their setup, though, for this AVR-style product, if you are finding that where you currently have your AVR placed is right. not conductive to moving the heat out quickly, this is something to consider, at least to move the air around and give it a chance to preserve the often a prime investment for your home theater. And I, I just dug it. And there are different versions available. You can just take a look at their website, acinfinity.com. It seemed like an effective product if you have that need. If you have proper spacing around your gear. Right. And the room is not, you know, 100C or something crazy. <laughs> Maybe not that hot, but... Venting your media closet can be really important depending on, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's in conditioned space, whether there's airflow through it. That was a problem in one of the houses I lived in where the closet would basically kill routers. And then 
I was afraid it was going to start killing more expensive things. But these are slick, right? They have a 12-inch version, a 17-inch version. Like you mentioned before, they have right. other exhaust and input options. Uh, but the other thing that I thought was great was these are not painfully expensive. It's like 50 bucks for the 12-inch versions and 90 to 130 bucks for the larger versions. And that's a big deal because so often when we see stuff like this, it's targeted towards home theaters. It's targeted towards installers and people that are writing big checks. And, you know, they're talking about 24 dB uh, because they're using some thoughtful design and some bearing fans. And if that's a legit number, that's that's quiet. That's very, that's very quiet, yeah. And the thing I like, too, is its versatility because this had gone from exhausting out the top in its previous configuration to where when the AVR went into a cabinet, it's like, mm -hmm. well, I don't need it blowing right up into the top of the cabinet that was maybe a couple right. inches away. Instead, I'll direct it straight out the front. Uh, just to give that AVR a chance, even if you're uh, exceeding the recommended installation specifications, <laughs> so to speak. Let your amplifier breathe. Help your amplifier breathe. Totally. Things get spendy when they break. <laughs> oh, and last week I talked about getting my hands on an A90J from Sony. They're wonderful 2021. One of their flagship OLED televisions, 4K, 120 hertz. For gamers, I don't know if that VRR update ever happened, but do let me know. This is a delightful TV. It is loaded with Google TV, and it features a snappy CPU that gave it a really nice presentation and response in terms of using not only the menus, but the apps that are built right in. It was one of the best setups I've seen with Google TV. It's just nice having a decent CPU to drive all of that, and that is kind of expected on a premium television. On the calibration side for this display, the owner had complained that dark details were being crushed and calibrating that actually cleaned it up quite nicely. When I took some default measurements of how the TV was right out of the box, it has a delightfully linear grayscale, but it is using a unique white point or a color of gray called Judd Boss. And if you would compare this to the D65 color of gray used in video production for practically everything we look at, be it SDR, <laughs> HDR, or Dolby Vision, right. uh, Judd Boss could be said to appear maybe a little cooler with saturated blues and slightly less saturated reds and yellows. Given the, how many times in my professional life I've seen that particular color of gray, why would they choose? Sorry, you, you were about to tell us. No, no. You're, you're <laughs> going Why, down Robert? the correct path. <laughs> when I first encountered this, it was with one of Sony's mastering monitors, their OLED-based one that had pure RGB OLEDs as the subpixel structure. When that was dialed in to D65 and they put it next to, say, an LCD that was dialed into D65, they didn't look quite the same. They were pretty damn close, but there was a difference and that comes down to perceptual matching. And what Judd Voss is good for is making that OLED look a little bit more consistent with other display hmm. types. I see it more when you're trying to compare something like a laser projector versus an LED projector or even an LED display, backlit display versus a lamp-based projector versus OLED. If you're trying to get these all matched up and you have an OLED in the mix, Judd Voss can be a convenient way to get them to us, perceptually matched a little closer than it would be using something like D65. However, I ended up calibrating D65 for this owner. I did not have another display right next to it that we were going to be comparing constantly. This was not a test environment. <laughs> and it 
cleaned up nicely in terms of restoring that dark detail without it brightening black levels or ruining contrast. And overall, it was just a terrific TV to work on. It performed flawlessly and it looks so good for video. It's really one of my favorite TVs for just people who want video and maybe aren't the cutting edge gamer so much, just considering how Sony is with the variable refresh rate and other game-centric sure. features. I'm sure everything works better on a PlayStation 5, but either way, <laughs> if I were a hardcore gamer more than I am a hardcore movie watcher, I would probably look at a different product. Uh, probably an LG C something. <laughs> anyway. You said the owner were complaining about uh, dark details being crushed or basically, you know, a mess of black instead of all the individual shades of whatever in the darkness we expect from HDR. What was it about the television that was crushing the blacks that you're able to tweak in the calibration? Specifically the grayscale, effectively using the grayscale calibration to, in effect, correct the gamma of the TV. As it dives into pure black, mm -hmm. you don't want it cutting off too early or too late or ruining the contrast level. So by just precisely measuring that and then applying it to what Sony specifies for the calibration setup and just mm -hmm. making sure it's hitting the targets properly. And one right. of the ways I can do that is that I'm using a rather expensive light meter that can read down pretty dark, uh, much darker than lesser meters, so to speak. So I'm able to actually do pretty good work on something like that, a, a near black level correction, be it for color or grayscale. But literally, yeah, it was, a, I believe it's a 20 point setup on that TV. And as we were getting closer and closer to pure black, it was just making sure that the light output for each individual sample was hitting what the target should be and not dropping off too quickly or too late. Makes sense. I was quite pleased with how it looked. And honestly, uh, the, oh, oh, of course, honestly, but the owner ended up <laughs> connecting a PlayStation 5 and showing me the latest Madden game. I have not looked at a Madden on a game console in a long time. And <laughs> I kept thinking it was live TV. He just had it on some channel, but no, it, until I saw him pick up the controller, that Deep game was in the uncanny Valley. It was close and it was fantastic to look at actually, but checked out some regular video too, of course, and streaming sources of all kinds for Dolby vision, HDR 10, and of course, uh, SDR for your 1080p sources you're over the air or your uh, cable or satellite or streaming, whatever's. It tunes up great. It's a fantastic TV. It actually looks great right out of the box. I like calibrating things to G65 personally, especially mm -hmm. if it's a standalone display because that's what is used in the final output for a lot of video. But leaving that TV at default isn't terrible. I, the linearity in terms of, like I said, the, the color of gray from pure white to all the way down to pure black. It was very consistent across the board. That's a good thing, and that's something I see in Sony's premium TVs. Clearly a factory-calibrated TV. Do you have a choice between tuning to Judd Voss or D65? Was it weird to tune one way or the other? I mean, if, if I have one of these televisions and I'm, I'm bringing a calibrator in, should I specify which grayscale I want to use, or is that like the calibrator's choice at that point? Wow, this is inside baseball. No, not at all. <laughs> Let's it, talk it, about gray. <laughs> if you're calibrating a display, be it for SDR, HDR, right. Dolby Vision, what have you, all of those formats are D65. They're all based right. upon that white point for the presentation. And right. going outside of that isn't my personal choice, 
I would say that Sony's consistency in that factory calibration and their use of Judd Voss may be as much related to this TV being in a showroom with other TV technologies. Like I mentioned, that difference between, right. say, laser versus an LED light source versus a lamp or an OLED. Uh, to make that OLED not appear odd next to those other displays. In terms of how go. we perceive <laughs> color, it's just so strange. The white point can right. really affect how color perception is. And in this case, uh, I think Judd Voss is probably even better for something like a store mode on a TV as well. But okay. that likely is even more blue than your typical cinema mode. Because you got to have vivid mode. <laughs> <laughs> in the in the store. I just want to be clear that I'm not saying Sony's defaults in any way are bad. They're, they okay. are delightful. It's just not my personal taste. And right. maybe I've looked at D65 long enough, but even on that display, I knew it wasn't right on D65 just by looking at a grayscale chart. You could, I, It was something else, but it was very consistent. And that beauty of it. And it's not a huge difference. As, especially when using this in perceptual matching, like you're doing a shootout with displays and you want to give sure. the, the Sony the best shot possible. When it comes down to calibrating TVs, everybody is shooting for D65, ideally. Yeah. That just simply matches the standard used for the folks making video <laughs> in this world. I mean, so when, you, when you're when you calibrating a monitor display, right, RGB, 255, 255, 255 uh, is literally supposed to match the D65 color point. It's, you know... This setting on all devices should be the same color, as you said before, right? If it looks weird because you've seen it 10,000 times on 10,000 different displays, but interesting. I mean, it's Sony fascinates me. They fascinate me. They are display experts, and there is a very yeah. good reason they chose this particular preset. I was curious, though, that by default, even in the pro presets within the TV itself mm -hmm. that I was messing with, they defaulted to that same offset as well. And technically, if I wanted to put that TV back to its default, I would have to actually enter that offset, that Judd Boss specific coordinate for their shade of gray, and then let the TV run through it. And that would put it back to how it looked from the factory. So that's just something to keep in mind. These are all well-known standards. Sure. And either one looks pretty good, but like I said, that, that certain shade of gray to me, I love D65 personally. And it's... It's it is my friend. It is. It's like pink noise. It is my friend. <laughs> and calibrators really aren't choosing other white points unless you're in some weird production environment where sure. you need to use this on a particular OLED screen for perceptual matching. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> oh... Are you receiving ATSC 3.0 yet in the Bay Area? I am not, but rumors have it that there is at least a test station going on. I rescanned for channels using my HD Home Run 4-tuner box, uh, network-connected device, and mm -hmm. I did not pick up any ATSC 3.0, but I am also experimenting with my antenna placement as well to see if I can pull in a few more channels. I think I'm in a less saturated environment for channel reception, than I was in my previous location, but uh, I'm working on it. Nothing so far, <laughs> still. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I got to look up what the price is. And if you can buy that particular ATSC 3.0 tuner, I am just liking that HD Home Run product. That works really well, but it wasn't cheap. 
I'm looking forward to stick-like devices that I can hook an antenna up to to add ATSC 3.0 support to any TV. Instead of using the built-in tuner for ATSC 2, or not ATSC 2.0, it would just be ATSC. There really was no 2.0. But anyway, <laughs> that standard's not going away. So if you do depend on your over-the-air, on your current tuner, your ATSC tuner, fear not. That's, uh, as far as I can tell, going to stick around for a good long time. Probably another 10 years. <laughs> At least. That would be nice. While ATSC matures into this 3.0 standard with its digital delivery of 4K, actually it also improved signaling in terms of hmm. robustness of the signal and being able to deal with obstructions or just getting you better picture quality at further distances is really another key feature of ATSC 3.0. I'll dig up some products to see if anybody's actually building a standalone tuner yet for <laughs> in that, you know that sweet $50 price range or less. I'm not seeing nice. that yet. Give it time, sir. Yeah. Quick update, Peacock TV Olympics. I am paying the 10 bucks for the ad-free level on Peacock TV. You know, you click a few times to the right, there's a whole Olympics tab. You get everything that's available, everything that goes out live. You can watch live. You to be able to watch later. They have categories by sports. It's actually been probably nice. my best Olympics experience since I was a child, and you watched it on ABC TV when it showed up because you had no choice, and that was glorious. But uh, it's been really impressive so far. And I will say the one thing that did surprise me, if you're watching one of the live broadcasts, right? So curling starts at 4 p.m. Uh, if you're watching a live broadcast, they do, because of contractual obligations, they do drop ads in that. But it's usually like one ad, it seems like, and it hasn't been particularly offensive. I was, I will say I was really indignant the first time one popped up. I'm like, I paid the extra five bucks. God darn it. But... Uh, a friend of mine was like, yeah, they, just wait till it's done and watch the recorded version. You won't have ads. Yep. And I was like, oh, oh. I do get ads when I watch YouTube TV and the content I have recorded, I am watching after the fact. Right. However, I can skip through them. So I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> click, click, click. Okay, back to the action. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But friend of mine convenient. has a hack for that to, to minimize the ads on Peacock TV. I, I got to say it was... It has been nice to not have to play the YouTube Find It game or dealing with a lot of 15, 30-second clips. They have those, too, but it's been really enjoyable to actually watch the full events and, and the drama and the excitement that goes on there. Moving on to some viewer questions. Keith, a.k.a. at Keith Foster, tweeted, ESPN 4K on my YouTube TV doesn't seem to be optimized very well for streaming. Plus, considering my TV tops out at 100 megabits per second, this might have issues. He had a screen cap that showed uh, that he was pulling like 95.6 megabit per second, which seems kind of high even for 4K. I will say, don't have a lot of expertise on streaming ESPN, but... From what I've read, getting any kind of 4K out of ESPN, even if ESPN is actually shooting 4K at the event, is kind of a crapshoot. There was one whole thing I read on Reddit uh, from a few months ago where the general consensus was like, yeah, if they say 4K, it'll be 1080p, and if they say 1080p, it'll be 720p, and this is completely non-sciencey, but just be excited you get any functional 4K. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> totally. That is excessively um, high bandwidth if this graphic Keith posted is actually the TV itself in terms right. of what it's, or the, the streaming app or the TV with the apps built in. Consuming up to about 100 megabit, holy cow. 
that is unlikely. Or it's just a sign that maybe he's exactly right in that it's not well optimized and right. somehow poor ESPN Some terrible is, buffering thing is going on. Or like, ESPN is firehosing this when they don't need to be. And right. <laughs> you know, either that or they have a block of bandwidth just sitting there and it's like not enough people are using it, so they're just flooding everyone with like, oh, let's just push everyone to 110% and see what happens. <laughs> I don't mind the extra bandwidth. It's just, uh, is it actually necessary? Because you're getting into ultra high def HDR content at that point. And even on those broadcasts, you shouldn't be pushing 100 megabit. Hey, if they want to, and you have the bandwidth to do it, what the heck? I wouldn't be complaining. But yeah, that <laughs> well, seems... That seems pretty damn high. That's not Netflix efficient. That's for sure. <laughs> no. One of the challenges Keith had was that he only had a, a 10100 Ethernet port on that television. So he oh. was worried that it was gated by the available, uh, you know, the available input to the television. So I think he switched to a Chromecast. But let mm. us know, Keith, how that looked and if you ever got any results on uh, getting actual 4K. Uh, ask at avxl.com is the place to email or tweet at Patrick Norton at Robert Heron or at avxl I also want to give a shout out to all of our patrons patreon.com slash avxl your monthly contributions make it happen and uh, if you haven't been to check the uh, Patreon go uh, go check it this week and do us a favor join us in our next hangout and keep an eye on patreon.com slash avxl or it, when we post it you should receive an update in your email account uh, for our next hangout just want to give a shout out for that at Veer Mahara sent out a tweet, quote, someone needs to talk to Intel about supplying an SGX USB dongle, a hardware-based key to allow for 4K playback on any PC, regardless of processor. And I titled this 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 chunk of the viewer questions, is the home theater PC dead? Uh, and we miss Windows Media Center. Uh, home theater PCs are probably dead for most folks. Uh, Plex users and various other folks uh would probably argue against that but no they'd laugh at that yeah plex is awesome plex, plex on your nas amazing. streamed right to your tv anywhere Cody, in the world cody's awesome whatever too. display yeah it works uh so the whole works in 4k is not dead i will say bluetooth or bluetooth <laughs> blu-ray streaming is going to have issues um so let me let me first say there's no way Virmahara that intel is going to supply a USB dongle that'll handle SGX. But let's back this up a little bit. Uh, Bleeping Computers, Build to Loss, wrote, new Intel chips won't play Blu-ray disc due to SGX depredation, or deprecation, I should say. Essentially, uh, Intel's pulling SGX, the software guard extensions, from the 12th generation Intel Core 11,000 and 12,000 processors. Uh, that means no 4K Blu-ray playback on the latest chips if your Blu-rays have DRM, which is pretty much all Blu-rays, not all, but the vast majority of them. And... The reason Intel pulled SGX out of the cores is because security researchers kept finding that it was a fantastic place to attack the CPU. It's a vector. It was a vector for attacks. And also because when you do the math, uh, if you are selling processors, you will notice that the vast majority of PCs and laptops sold today don't actually have a Blu-ray drive in there. Uh, there's a really nice explainer in Cyberlink's Power DVD FAQ. And uh, you should definitely go read Mr. Tulas's article on Bleeping Computer for all the gory details. And uh, props to PC World's Michael Kreider for noting that AMD's Ryzen CPU architecture also does not support 4K Blu-ray playback. So, you know, you will be able to play them at 1080p. You will not be able to play them at 4K. But I'm pretty sure most of the people listening out there 
probably already rip their Blu-rays and put them on a hard drive, and it becomes uh, less of an issue. Email AskDavyXL. <laughs> I wish I had an 11th or 12th gen processor to try it out with, but I believe if you just simply have Make MKV installed, it will, and it can decrypt the particular disk in the drive. Right. We'll do it on the fly and just let you play it on anything. So I don't know. I, I'm still rolling a 10 series or a 10th gen processor. So it looks <laughs> like I'm, I'm quote unquote lucky. But uh, anyway, I, I, I have to believe there are workarounds for this that aren't very difficult. Email them to us, askdavxl.com. Probably the weirdest Twitter name I've, I've read this week. At Satan Slurpee tweeted what are some good powered speakers to go with my atlp 60 turntable that won't break the bank i'm looking for under 200 dollars uh i give a shout out to the clips pro media 2.1 thx computer speakers we mentioned last week when we were talking about uh, the vanity transparent one powered speakers they're not just computer speakers uh you know they sound pretty good, especially with the subwoofer. You know, are they $1,000 speakers? No. Are they $500 monitors? No. But they're shockingly good for like 130 bucks. And uh, unless you get lucky buying used, finding anything better than wire cutters uh, pick for computer speakers, which are a small pair of desktop monitors from Mackie, the CR5 XBT, it's going to be really hard. You know, when you look at a powered speaker, it will either have a DAC input or an analog input or both. It's going right. to have an amplifier. It's got drivers. There's the enclosure costs. Getting a set of powered speakers for under 220 bucks is going to be hard. A lot, you know, there are some out there. A lot of them sound like trash. If you have the room, this is a fantastic way to buy or a place to put an inexpensive. I found it at a garage sale. I bought it off Craigslist AVR. I still see. Denon and Yamaha, and very occasionally an older Marantz AVR for a hundred bucks on Craigslist, and that is a great entry-level, inexpensive way to get some power into a set of stereo speakers. And uh, keep an eye out if you if you go on Craigslist or you know Facebook Marketplace or something like that. Keep an eye out for Pioneer's SP BS Twenty Two LR. Those are Andrew Jones Design uh, Home Audio Bookshelf Loudspeakers. I think is the entire name of them. They are a great deal if you can find them used. They used to be one hundred and thirty bucks new. They were one of the great bargains in audio of all time. They made them for years. If you can, I don't think they make them. I don't think Pioneer makes them anymore. But you know, they occasionally pop up at closer to one hundred and eighty or two hundred dollars on Amazon now, but I saw a pair for sale on Craigslist for like 75 bucks. And the nice thing about those is one, they're really impressive. They're amazing for the money as they are. Uh, two, you can mod those if you are if you are willing to, to spend some money on drivers and, and tweak the crossover. The guy behind Philharmonic Audio put together some mods for that to upgrade the tweeter and put some better, uh, basically create a, a, a improved, uh, uh, crossover for that which makes for some pretty amazing performance you know and the thing that andrew jones said to somebody years ago and they were like how do you make these speakers that sound so good for so little money and he's like look most designers most speaker engineers most speaker designers you know they put in 10 cent speakers and i spend a dollar on speakers and that's a huge difference <laughs> and that's right you know an exaggeration but it's it's kind of crazy when you look at something i think the number i was told was the drivers inside of 
gosh, what was it, a Sonos One, were $4 worth of drivers, $6 worth of drivers, and everything else was absorbed in, in the electronics and the DSP and all the other stuff. I gotta see if I can verify that number, but it is amazing to find out in many cases how little money is actually afforded to that really critical piece of hardware that turns electrical impulses into the stuff your ears hear. So, uh, you know, shout out to Pioneer for keeping those speakers going for so long. And those, you know, if you can track down a pair of those and a nice used uh, AVR or integrated amp, that's a fantastic way to go if you have the room for it. Satan Slurpee, which I got to say twice. Good options. Yeah, we try. We try. There's lots more expensive options, but uh, finding the quality stuff cheap is where the search gets really exciting. Hey, and before we get out of here, I have a quick tip for anybody who's gaming on a Windows computer. If you've ever experienced a seemingly random slowdown of your frame rate performance, in my case, it was something like 30%. Suddenly it just disappeared, and I was struggling to figure out what it was exactly and of course i immediately assumed the updated driver i had just installed for my graphics card was the culprit no uh i thought maybe switching to windows 11 from windows 10 was the culprit that is i think warmer uh for me in windows 10 windows introduced a game mode uh, that is available within your windows settings that supposedly optimizes the pc's performance when gaming I found in Windows 10, I had no problem leaving that enabled. However, in Windows 11, and seemingly out of nowhere, because it wasn't this way when I first did the install, but recently uh, I found that game mode was the culprit. As soon as I flipped the switch, boom, I had full performance back again. And in this case, turning it from on to off. But if you're in the uh, gaming world and on a PC and you're dealing with just a oddity and slowdown do toggle that switch the game mode switch within the os and see if it works in your favor one way or another and i'm also super happy that my monitor actually has a built-in frame rate display (laughs) so i can just click one button and do a quick check and we were talking earlier about moving crap around in a home if you're dealing with wooden floors and you're trying to protect them in any way or if you want to make the job a little easier on yourself, do invest in a pack of those furniture feet that you stick on and stick them on everything, uh, especially anything that's reasonably heavy that you need to slide around. It will not only make the job easier, but you'll protect your floors too. And it's cheap. It's cheap insurance and it's a back saver. Furniture blankets are your friends too. Oh, that I ended up using one of those when I moved that pedestal stand in. I left it laying on that, slid it around in a few places, got it right where I wanted, and that's effectively the same thing. And just, uh, yeah, furniture feet or whatever those little slidey <laughs> things are. They're cheap and they're awesome. <laughs> and remember to do it before you hear the terrible scraping sound as you permanently modify your wood floor. Or why your buddy's holding that 130-pound subwoofer up in the air. You can get at the feet real easy and just stick them on and then tickle them real quick and hope they don't drop that sub right on your face. But anyway. Oh, my goodness. And if you need cheap furniture blankets, Harbor Freight usually has them in stock. Don't wash them. Don't get them wet. You get maybe two uses out of them, but they're there. Oh, goodness. Um, I was going to talk about JDS Labs Element 3 this week. Uh, I'm actually going to hold that off uh, another week. One, because I'm digging through a bunch of the settings in the menu system on that. Uh, Also, JDS is sold out until late February. They're in pre-order mode right now. The short answer, though, is, look, the audio is flawless. 
Um, it's got more power than almost any headphone I own can actually take advantage of. And uh, I'm in love with the digital audio control. And I'll dig into that, uh, and uh, and we'll have uh, John Sieber talking about that, uh, you know, next week. It's an impressive product. It should be for $450, but it amazes me how much more a lot of headphone amp deck combinations are out there that don't have a magnificent knob and flawless uh, volume controls. In any case, tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at AVXL. If you need a hashtag, uh, hashtag AskAVXL works great. And uh, we're always looking for your questions, your comments, your suggestions, things that are impressive, things that are irritating you, things you want us to talk about, email ask at AVXL.com. And one more thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash AVXL. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. And we'll catch you next week on AVXL. Oops. Stay excellent.